0: Good morning. My name is not Kevin Webb. My name is Aaron Wine. If you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here at Lakeview, and I've been privileged to be called up from the minor leagues and uh, pinch hit for my buddy Kevin. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and find Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We're going to look through the whole chapter, it's only 13 verses, uh, but there's a lot there, so I will. Also uphold my buddy Kevin's uh, streak of just giving you time to pray at the end, and uh, no time to discuss it. So, um, Revelation chapter 8, most important thing we'll do this morning, uh, at least for time with me, Um, the Lord's given me some insight here, but his word is supreme. So let's uh, read together in verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The angel, the third angel, blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Let's pray before we go any further. O oh God in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. All creation is full of your glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim your handiwork. And we see your glory in creation, but we see it most supremely in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we read your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, you might give us eyes to see Illuminate the eyes of our hearts and transform us to be more and more made into the image of Jesus. I pray as we read this confusing, bizarre chapter in this apocalyptic, symbolic, powerful book of Revelation. You would help us to make much of Christ, to see the reality of our future, that it is secure in your sovereignty. You would give us great encouragement to walk by faith as we await your return. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There have been plenty of times that I've been stunned into silence. Maybe you as well have been stunned into silence before you've been left speechless over something. Beautiful reasons, right? Eight and a half years ago, I saw my then-fiance walking down the aisle as my soon-to-be bride, and I was stunned. And for somebody who loves to talk, that's a big feat. I was speechless. I saw something so amazing, so beautiful. There was so much wrapped up in what's about to take place. And then just a little over a year ago, right, seeing my son born, seeing him in the world for the first time, I had no words to express. I was stunned into silence. There may be exciting reasons, like when my parents surprised me one year for Christmas with an iPod Touch. I'm sure you can join me with that kind of memory. We all probably have stories like this where we were left speechless. We didn't know what to say. There are two times come to mind in my life, however, that I was struck with silence because of horror. The first was on my honeymoon when we went to the Museum of Fine Art in Boston. We got to see so many wonderful things. But this was in 2013, two years after uh, the earthquake and tsunami heat hit Japan. The museum had a large section dedicated to the wreckage and the aftermath of the floods, including a floor-to-ceiling projection of just raw footage, no commentary, just rolling of waters sweeping away cars and trees and whole buildings inland. And Whitley and I just just had this memory. We just stood there just watching this video. And just watching something that ought not to be take place. The second was in 2017 when I had the chance to go to Israel as an intern here at Lakeview. And we had the chance to go to Yad Vashem, which is the World Holocaust Remembrance Museum in Jerusalem. So walking through this long corridor of the museum was haunting and somber and, and surreal. It's, it's bizarre. Hard to explain Without being there. But by the end of it, we're watching footage of Allied soldiers documenting the horrors of the concentration camps and you hear over the speaker the voice of General Eisenhower telling the troops to record what they saw because he was concerned that no one would believe them. And so there I was, taking in the devastation and the death and the despair It's not a perfect analogy, but I think that's part of what's happening here at the beginning of Revelation chapter 8. God is bringing His wrath to bear on the earth. We need to sit with that for just a moment. You learned last week in Revelation chapter 7 that those who are in Christ will be sealed and saved from the coming destruction. But there will be many who suffer. Many will come face to face with the judgment of God. So this morning, I hope to walk us through all of Revelation chapter 8, moving from the end of the cycle of the seals into the cycle of the trumpets and hopefully taking away a few key applications for us as believers in the process. So we're going to camp, first of all, in verses 1 through 5. If you're taking notes, I have it on the screen. It's the seventh seal and the silence of heaven. The seventh seal and the silence of heaven we are reminded very quickly that it is the Lamb who opens the seals. Remember Revelation chapter 5. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah is able. right? The Lamb is the one who's opening these seals. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus who rules and reigns from His heavenly throne. He is the one who is worthy to open the seals and exact judgment on the earth. And He is also able, as you heard last week, To seal and shield His blood-bought bride from the wrath to come. This is good news for us if we're in Christ. Because it means that the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the earth is going to be averted from us because Christ has taken it already. We'll need to remember that. It was two weeks ago, though, in Revelation chapter 6, when the other six seals were opened. I want us to put our eyes on that. So just flip back probably a page in your Bible to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, it's bam, 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 bam. So we're going to pick it up in verse 9. To get the context of what's happening here. Start in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's a key phrase there. Those who dwell on the earth. We'll get to that in a minute. Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves Verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. That's the sixth seal. If you remember, as Kevin's probably taught you, as we're thinking about this kind of parallelism in the book of Revelation where these cycles of judgment take place over and over and over, there is intensification going on. If that's the sixth seal, then the seventh is even more intense. Then the seventh leads to a heavenly host who has been crying out, And worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, it causes them to silence. And we need to remember that the martyrs are here in Revelation chapter 6, believers who have died for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, and they're praying. When that fifth seal opens, they're praying under the altar to God to avenge their blood, to bring justice on the earth. They're praying. They're asking God to work, to do something, to move, to take what is wrong and make it right. But what happened? They're given a white robe and told to wait. And what were they told to wait for? They're told to wait until the full number of the saints was complete. So we come back to Revelation chapter 8, and we see the seventh seal open, and we see and hear silence awe, a great suspense. And in verse 2, we begin to see a transition towards this idea of recapitulation. We're going to move from the end of the story back to the beginning. We're going to do this over and over right through the book of Revelation. Right. So today we're going to talk about the first four trumpets. In a couple of weeks, you'll talk about the bowls and you'll go to the next thing. Seven angels are handed trumpets. Then another angel came with a censer filled with the prayers, don't miss this, of all the saints. Revelation 8, this angel comes before the Lord with a censer full of the prayers of not just the saints of Revelation 6, but the full number. All the saints are here. And their prayers were like incense before God, a pleasing aroma and a worthy offering. And the first big takeaway of this passage for you and for me as Christians is that God hears and receives our prayers. This is like Christianity 101, but it's really easy for us to forget that the Creator God, who has no obligation to make Himself known to us, much less listen to us, has seen fit in His kindness to have an open ear. And when you speak, you have his attention. When you pray, he hears you. Why? Because they're a pleasing aroma to him. They're offered with heavenly incense, Revelation tells us. Look at verse 3. Angel came out and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. So John makes a distinction between the prayers of all the saints and the incense that it's brought with. Something, or better yet, someone has transformed our prayers so that God might receive them. Hold your place in Revelation and flip on back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. When Christians pray, God hears their prayers. But what is different between a Christian praying to God and a pagan praying to his God or God's? What's different? What's going on? The mechanics are the same. We're speaking to deity. But what unlocks our access to God's throne? Look at verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So don't miss this. When you pray, the Spirit is praying with you, the Spirit is praying for you, and you can trust that what the Spirit brings to the throne of heaven is always right and always good because the will of the Spirit is the will of God. Drop down to verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So when you pray... You always have two prayer partners, the Spirit of God and the Son of God. Every time you pray, every time you go to God's throne, Hebrews tells us we have the ability to go in boldness, to have confident access before the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Why? It's because you're indwelt with the Spirit of Christ, and the Son, Christ Himself, is receiving those prayers and interceding for you. It's not you. You don't know what to pray for as you ought. None of us do. We always have mixed motives and and wrong intentions and desires that we think we want to have filled, but in the end would lead to our ruin because our hearts are deceitful and sick. But the Spirit of God and the Son of God prays when we pray and God hears. And like incense mixed with an offering, it's a pleasing aroma to God's throne. All right, back to Revelation chapter 8. How does God respond? How does He respond to these prayers? The prayers for justice and vengeance and righteousness to rule and to have the blood of the believers avenged. He dispatches the angel to take that censer, fill it with fire from the altar, and throw it on the earth. We don't have time to turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel sees a vision of a man grabbing handfuls of burning coals and scattering them over the city of Jerusalem. And the the vision, the angels and the living creatures are surrounding them, but ultimately in the vision, the glory of God leaves the temple. After Ezekiel, the, the vision of Ezekiel, the man scatters the coals, the glory and the presence of God leaves the temple in Jerusalem. It's this huge sign of judgment and exile that's coming. The sign in Ezekiel leads to judgment through the removal of God's sustaining presence. All that is left, then, is judgment. All that's left. If if God's sustaining presence leaves us, then all that is left is judgment. And here in verse 5 of Revelation 8, we see just that. He threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightnings and an earthquake. Clear signs in Revelation and throughout all Scripture of God's wrath and judgment. Two more big ideas to add here. First, notice that God is answering the prayers of the saints through His just judgments. Christian, God hears your prayers. And not only that, He uses your prayers as the means by which He will accomplish His good purposes. We wonder if I have such a high view of God's sovereignty and His decree over all the earth and that nothing in the universe comes to pass without His ordinance, what is the purpose of my prayers? Well, clearly, the Scriptures call us to pray. And so if we get locked up in our theological system to the point where we're denying clear demands of Scripture, Scripture's not the problem, right? Our systems are. And I have a very high view of God's sovereignty. I also love the Bible, and the Bible calls on us to pray, right? To intercede for others, to to ask the Lord. You don't have because you don't ask. So prayer then, in God's sovereignty, God uses our prayers to do real things in the world. And it's not as though, don't don't miss this, it's not as though if you're thinking about it in heaven, it's not as though God is sitting in heaven and goes, "Ah, Susie's praying. Susie's prayer, okay, so, all right, angels, we got to get together. Like, now we have the prayers. Like, we, we have the key card, apparently. And now we can unlock some works that we can do in the world. It's not as though your prayers are a are surprise to God. It's not as though he's stunned by the fact that you might petition him for something. Because remember, you don't know what to pray for. And the Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. So it is not as though the Lord is surprised in heaven when you come to Him in prayer. He's not surprised at all because His world is moving exactly the direction He wants it to go. The prayers of the saints matter. So lean into God in your prayers. Pray big. Pray often. Pray without ceasing. God, God's answer may not come on your timetable. Right? The answer of Revelation 6 is Wait. God's answer may not come in your desired medium. You may not get that thing that you think you want. But they are not wasted. Your prayers are not unimportant. Your prayers are never neglected. It's never a waste of time to go to the Lord in prayer. Last thing, and then we need to do a soft reset with the trumpets. Kevin has mentioned the cyclical structure of Revelation, what's known as progressive parallelism. And each time the cycle resets, it progresses in some way. So let me just give you one example. This is just an example here uh, to show you that the the framework that Kevin and I have when we come to Revelation isn't just out of thin air. So in verse 5, it tells us that there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. These are clear signs of God's judgment on the earth. Clear signs of God's wrath. But there is synonymous and more Intense language in chapter 11 and in chapter 16. And there's less intense but synonymous language that is similar to this in chapter 4. Let just read. In chapter 4, verse 5, it says that there's lightnings, sounds, and thunders. And here in verse 8, there's, in verse 5 of chapter 8, there's thunders, sounds, lightnings, and earthquakes. In chapter 11, there's going to be lightnings, sounds, thunders, quaking, and great hail. In chapter 16, there's going to be lightnings, sounds, thunders, quaking, and great, great hail. You see the point I'm trying to make? Every time this cycle gets to the end, something more intense is taking place over and over and over. But it's the same vision. It's the same event. It's the same wrath. Just a little example showing you how our understanding of the structure of this book is not an oddly concocted thing but a faithful interpretation of John's incredible vision. Okay, we got to move forward because it's, we're already late. Okay. Um, second point this morning, the trumpet plagues and the warnings of wrath. The trumpet plagues and the warnings of wrath. When we get to verse 6, the angels are ready. The seven angels that received trumpets in verse 2 are now ready to blow their trumpets. Now, just think Bible here. Trumpets are used primarily for warning. When you hear a trumpet, it perhaps is the trumpet before a great battle, for a great war, or the trumpets in our own day. Right, We hear trumpets. Usually it's on Wednesdays because they're checking the weather emergency system to make sure it works. But if you hear that trumpet, if you hear that siren in our community, we know... Danger and destruction is coming. Trumpets are given and used to warn. As you just heard from the reading, these first four trumpets sound oddly familiar if you're familiar with the plagues of Exodus, but even more intense. That's clearly intentional. Remember the story of the Exodus. The people of God, there at the beginning of Exodus, were enslaved, they were oppressed, they were being crushed by Pharaoh. And so they cried out in prayer for justice and for righteousness and for God to remember His covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And God heard their prayers. And His response was the salvation of His people through the judgment of the wicked. But each time a plague fell upon Egypt, the offer was given. Let My people go, and the plagues will stop. But Pharaoh never really relented, did he? Even at the very end, when he let the Israelites go, after the death of all the firstborns in Egypt, his repentance was proven to be false. He quickly ran after Israel with his great army and ultimately met his demise by the hand of God, crushing them in the Red Sea. These trumpets in Revelation and the judgments that are tied to them function in a very similar way to the plagues in Exodus. They themselves are judgments, but they point to an even greater threat of an outpouring of God's wrath. And as you will study in more depth next week, those who hate God, like Pharaoh before them, will refuse to relent. They will not repent. Let's take a look at each of the trumpet blasts and then discern what the big idea is. First, The first trumpet is blown. Hail and fire or thunderbolts, lightning, uh, were thrown upon the earth mixed with blood. That's the image. And the result is that vegetation is decimated along with a third of the earth and the trees. Second, something that reminds us of a volcano, right? a mountain on fire, was thrown into the sea and a third of the oceans became blood and a third of the creatures and ships were destroyed. Third, a great star... Perhaps a meteor fell on the earth, poisoning a third of the waters that humans could drink. These three trumpets all connect as devastation and hardship in the natural world. So instead of tying each trumpet to a specific historical event, it makes sense to understand that natural phenomena that brings about toil and strife for God's image bearers on the earth is in a very real sense a warning and a judgment. When we live in a world and experience the fallenness of that world, it's meant to produce something in us. It's not just there. It's not just an accident. It's not just random. God is using the brokenness of the world to actually produce in us something. For Christians, we recognize that it's to lead us to repentance. We recognize the brokenness of this world reminds us of the brokenness of our own hearts because of sin. But for those who are outside of the covenant of grace, for those who are outside of Christ, their hearts are hardened. They become bitter. They become full of despair. Or they become proud and full of arrogance and think that they have the capacity to do something in the cosmos that would right the wrongs that exist. I'm not saying that we don't have a God-given call to be good stewards of the earth. But I am saying that as Christians, when we see the brokenness of the world, our immediate application is not, what can I do better? The immediate reaction is, God is righteous. I'm not. One day this will be made right. And the hope that I have for my own soul to be glorified with Christ when He returns is the same hope that I can have for this creation. Because Christ isn't just redeeming people, right? He's reconciling all things to Himself. All things. It's a new heaven, a new earth, and a new people. We experience famines and tsunamis and tornadoes and floods and Poisoned waters and forest fires because we live in a fallen world, yes. But these things are signs warning everyone on earth that God is in control and His anger towards sin burns hot. Kevin spoke to this on Sunday when he preached through Daniel chapter 1. But recognizing the sovereign hand of God over all creation helps us also make sense of the world. We're not looking around wondering what's going to happen next. We're not looking around in fear We're reminded in Scripture that all things come to pass through His sovereign hand. This is all the result of His providence. So we do not fear. In one sense, it looks like chaos and brokenness and destruction. But in another sense, God has not taken His hands off the reins for one moment. Whether it's a tornado or a bad day at school, all of the brokenness that we experience in this world didn't catch God by surprise. They didn't slip through the cracks. But they do have a purpose. Now the fourth angel's trumpet caused a cosmic disturbance. Right? There's a little bit of an intensification here. It's one thing to burn up grass. It's another thing to darken a third of the sun. A little bit more power we're seeing there. It's another thing to darken a third of the stars in the sky. Something big is taking place. And this is clearly a symbolic reference to the prophetic visions of the Old Testament, like Joel chapter 2. We don't have time to turn there. But the, the point is, all of creation is being affected. All of creation. Nothing is unstained by the fallenness of this world. And nothing will be totally immune in creation from the purifying work of God's judgment. And that brings us to verse 13. An eagle cries out as it flies overhead, whoa, 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 to the earth dwellers or the unbelievers. You look at that word earth dweller, those who dwell upon the earth. We read it in chapter 6. It's here in chapter 8. It means those who do not believe. What's about to come next, the eagle says, and the next three trumpets will be even more horrific than what was come, has come already. Now, it's fascinating to me that John sees an eagle. right? Nothing is on accident, even in the apocalyptic genre of Revelation. John sees an eagle, which is both the seal of the Roman Empire and the creaturely depiction of Zeus. And it's that eagle that flies overhead as a mouthpiece crying out to the world about the coming wrath of Yahweh. There's a certain kind of irony there, isn't there? But destruction and desolation are coming. That's chapter 9, then, so you'll have to come back next week and hear Kevin talk about that. So as we conclude here, let me just encourage you to realize that God's warnings through judgment and wrath in creation hear me clearly, those things are insufficient to cause hearts of stone to melt and be replaced with hearts of flesh. So as Christians, let me tell you what's not productive. What's not productive is for us to throw our hands in the air when we look at a broken world existing in its sinfulness and fallenness and going, why don't they just get it? Why don't they see what I see? What, if, what is it going to take? Well, let me tell you what it's going to take. It's not going to take wrath. It's not going to take a warning of judgment. Those things play a role. That's for sure. And Maybe some of your testimonies have as part of that the idea that you came face to face with the reality that those apart from Christ will suffer the judgment. That, that's for sure. What I'm saying is that threat alone is insufficient for someone to say, huh, I guess I need to trust in Jesus. And so when we as Christians go out into the world, we recognize that while the trumpet judgments remind us that our world is broken and that God is in control, sinners are blind to their need of a Savior. They're blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4, we heard this the other day. God has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ. And i got a news for you. You can't open blind eyes. You've not been given that power. Now, by God's grace, I pray that you would pray for somebody who's physically blind and that the Lord would heal them. Fantastic. Still not you, right? God has the power to open the eyes of the blind. God has the power to unstop deaf ears. So don't miss the application for us who are in Christ. We have the message of the gospel. We have Christ. We have the the ability to go and interpret the brokenness of the world and the life of the unbeliever in a way to show them not the judgment to come, but the life that's offered. The freedom that's offered. We do this in order to point them to the Savior. And that Savior, if they do not repent, will become the judge. We're all probably... We're about to probably head out of town in a couple of weeks, right? You have finals coming up. And my prayer is that this chapter would be a sober reminder that one day we will be struck with silence at the wrath of God poured out in full force against the wicked. Like I, I get, I, I, I wholeheartedly affirm the sufficiency and the authority and the clarity and the inerrancy and the power of God's word I have no doubt in its capacity to tell the truth. But if I am not stunned when I think about the reality of judgment, I have not come to this Word with open eyes. And students, you can say, I believe the Bible. I believe God's Word. I believe in the Gospel. And I'm not saying you have to have some kind of ecstatic emotional response, but... Heaven was silenced over this. I mean, they have lived their whole life in sinless perfection, worshiping the throne, and they, won't, they weren't silent then. But this, this judgment, this seal that's being broken, that caused them to be stunned into silence. And all I'm saying is, if we don't feel something that causes us to shudder when we think about friends and family members, and coworkers, and neighbors, and students, and people we see on the street who, apart from Christ, will be doomed to despair and destruction and wrath. We don't understand judgment. But if we understand judgment, we will more clearly treasure the good news of the gospel that that judgment has been taken from us and replaced with life. And you and I, as we go our separate ways, can be stunned at the infinity of God's anger towards sin, but also rejoice that we've been spared the wrath of God because Jesus has taken it himself. And we can bear witness. We go to those who do not know Christ. And as Paul wrote, we seek to persuade them to the truth. We push through the awkwardness and into the hope of Jesus because we believe that that wrath is coming. We already see it in the world. We see that it's a warning of what's coming in the future. So until that day comes, by God's grace, there is still time for us to pray, knowing that he hears us, and for us to go, knowing that he's with us. Let me pray for you. God in heaven, we praise You. Who is like the Lord? There is no one. The one who is infinitely angry at sin, who hates wickedness and injustice, yet looks at us in our sinful, sad, dead, treacherous state and offers us rest for our weary souls. Who is like the Lord? There is no one. As the powers of this earth and the pagan gods of false religions are carousing and usurping authority and power to promote their own wickedness, God, you are bearing the judgment that we deserve. You're interceding for us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. You're receiving our prayers as a beautiful aroma, a sweet-smelling offering, and you are responding in perfect holiness. And Lord, you have revealed to us in your word that your wrath is coming and it will bear down on those apart from Christ. But as we saw in the Exodus, as we see in Revelation, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. And so for some, they will refuse to relent. God, we pray that we might go as the hands and feet of Jesus with the aroma of Christ on us, so that some might turn and see. Some might hear and understand, so that they might turn and be healed. God, we praise you that you use means. You've seen fit to use each one of us as a minister of reconciliation, to go into this fallen world as light in the darkness. So Lord, I pray as we come to the end of this semester, we continue to think through this book of Revelation, the the surety of your power and your sovereignty and your holiness and your goodness and the rich joys and unbelievable treasures of a new heaven and a new earth and and getting to see you face to face where there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. That offer stands to any who would come in faith and repentance. But for those who do not come, It would be better if rocks and mountains fell on them to shield them from your face. So Lord, we pray you would give us a right view of your wrath, which would help us see a right view of your love. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.